0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast, a huge week in the running world. D-Day is approaching for the fall racing season. We're expecting a decision from the NCAA at some point this week about cross country. The London Marathon on Friday is going to announce their plans for the fall. Some big decisions to be made in the running world. We're also going to talk about Brazier returning to the 800, Wade Van Niekirk was supposed to race, then didn't. Got a drug bus coming out of Morocco, an American record in the discus. We've got the first two sub four miles on Colorado soil, a new pro team out starting in Boulder. Plenty of stuff to discuss, guys. But I think really the decisions that are made in the next couple of days, today's Thursday, today's Wednesday, we're expecting a decision from the NCAA, and then Friday in London. This could shape whether we have any races to talk about in the fall.
1: Any races of note, perhaps, John? My twin brother, Weldon Johnson, has raced across country meet in the last few days. We're having races. It's just a matter of whether we're going to have some big races in the fall.
2: Yes, this is a big week. The London Marathon has said that they will announce their plans by Friday. And everything I'm hearing behind the scenes is encouraging. Just enough scuttlebutt that I think there will for sure will be a London Marathon Elite Race. That is one thing to look forward to. We can discuss that in a second, guys. But, yeah, it just this COVID thing, when we walked down in March, I was not thinking, oh, there's going to be no races to talk about in the fall. But if there's no NCAA cross-country season and all the major marathons are canceled, like, what is there? We might have some, like, one-off 10Ks here and there in Europe. It would be really nice to have one big marathon this fall and an NCAA cross-country season. So, guys, let's
1: get right down to the prediction game. Will London be held, in your opinion? I'm going to say yes. And let me tell you why. I'm going to share with you the email of the week. It's from a very smart visitor, podcast listener, who says the following. Please don't quote my name on this because I was told it in confidence. Nothing earth shattering, but it comes from via a number of athletes who have been told not to share it with the media. For several weeks, the plan has been to run an elite race in London on a 2K loop outside Buckingham Palace. There will be lots of space for spectators and the course will be very fast. I've run a mile race there a few times. And it has the best road service in the United Kingdom, kind of what you'd expect since it's effectively the Queen's front drive. However, none of the British athletes said they would originally run the race due to the previous World Athletics decision not to allow Olympic qualifying times until the 1st of December. These athletes are all trying to get into Valencia as a result. But then, SEBCO's announcement last week, moving the qualifying window, seems to be connected to this. Hugh Brashner and Dave Bedford obviously have some influence. So I'm going to say there will be in a London elite race based on that email. That's the good news. The bad news is guys, with all these football teams and the collegiate level going to conference only schedules, I don't think they're going to have cross
0: country. Yo, yeah, Well, if you look at the conferences, what they've announced, some conferences have already said the all four sports, full sports are canceled. You've got the Ivy league and Patriot league already saying that. And then you've got other conferences saying, Oh, we're delaying it. And other conferences saying we're moving to a conference only schedule. And what does that exactly mean for cross country? The Nutty Comb Invitational has already been cancelled. I mean, no matter what cross-country season we get in 2020, it's going to be very different from normal, and it kind of seems like the logical end goal for this, the, well, not end goal, but the end outcome is not to have an NCAAs, because even if you have it, you're not having much of a regular season, and you're having a bunch of schools aren't going if we have a championships in November.
2: I'm not sure they'll be able to do it sport by sport, but to me it seems like you pretty easily could have an NCAA championship. Couple hundred runners space them out at the start, shoot the gun off. Let's go. So,
0: I'm off. What the- do you mean space them out at the start? Well, then. 200 people on a start line, how are you going to do that?
2: You can have rows six feet apart, three feet apart. Like, come on! Like these are young, healthy people. Them running a cross country race is not a, is not a concern medically. That,
0: that, that's fine if that's your opinion, but I'm just saying spacing them out at the start only to have them come together immediately as soon as they're you know you either need a humongous start line or you and they're just going to be coming together immediately. I'm just saying that's not it's not as easy as you just saying oh space them out at the start. You need a big start line and a big area for that.
2: Okay, maybe we'll just go there now. I ran a real cross-country race in Connecticut this past weekend. 42 starters. It was very casual, very low-key. Everyone's not rushing on the lead, that sort of stuff. But they had, like, little triangles. Everyone was six feet apart. You could easily do three feet if you want to get people closer together. I think the concern was if anyone's going to get COVID, it's more from congregating beforehand. When you're actually running, the wind's blowing, like – Everyone's going, you know, 15 miles an hour. Well, not quite 15 miles an hour, not even 12 miles an hour. But you could space out 200 people on a, That's a very reasonable number. Sure, they're going to be neck-to-neck running the whole time, but we have soccer players playing throughout the world, all this other stuff. But the NCAA, it'll be, can they, are they really thinking sport by sport outside of football? Probably not. Um, and if the Ivy League's not there, who cares? Like, they made their decision. I mean – And this is sort of interesting, some of the stuff we're talking about. I'm in Connecticut. We got clobbered by COVID. We're the fourth highest death rate right now in the country, which means we did a really bad job of dealing with COVID. Everyone's patting themselves on the back because we, at one point, had the lowest spread, which means we're doing a good job now. But some of that's because we did a terrible job to begin with. The UConn football season is canceled here. They're the first, quote, major football program to cancel. They're an independent team. Like, they don't have anyone to play. That's why they canceled, I think... Not really because of COVID concerns. It's just like they can't make a schedule. So there's all these other things coming into effect. Meanwhile, you know, I'm having races here and no one else is racing yet. Football's canceled. So these sort of like there's business interest, conference interest, risk averseness. You know, who knows? The Yale golf course, I went to Yale, has been closed. Golf has been open in Connecticut for months. So it's not all perfectly logical.
1: No, it's not. When you have a financial incentive, like Major League Baseball, a huge financial incentive for NFL to compete, you'll find a way to do it. When you're an independent football team with no TV contract, you're going to find a way not to do it. But I don't want to get into COVID talk. I do worry about super spreader events. That's my big thing now. Everybody should be six feet apart. and I think that the screaming, we've talked about it, the choir practice – the choir practice is a big deal. we talked about that in every podcast. I think a running event is a super spreading event. So I would be concerned about having hundreds of people together. At no,
0: here's what happened is Robert just read an article in the Atlantic like two days ago. And now he's, all, he's like, this is the most important thing in the world. And then he'll probably read something else next week and say, no, this is... A, yeah, obviously a marathon is a super spreader event. And this is why we've been talking about London is... Might be an elite only race. It might be drastically smaller. I mean, obviously they're worried about that stuff. But I do think, Robert, to get back to your initial question... We're going to see an elite version of London. They have more money than the other marathons. They're more invested in elite racing than the other marathons. And it's, it it's, it's going to look weird. It would kind of be like a big track race. If you're just running sort of a 2K loop, uh, it's kind of like a track race on 2K track as opposed to a marathon where you're running through all different parts of the city. But if that means we can see Bekele and Kipchoge in 2020, I'm all for it.
2: What were the proposed dates for
0: London? Well, it's supposed to be October 4th.
2: Okay, so they still got two months to train.
0: I mean, look, Kipchoge, you show him up anywhere, anytime, that guy's going to be fit. The big concern is Piquetle, but from what I understand, look, if London's going forward with this plan, they're not just going to spring it on Kipchoge like a week before. Oh, sorry, Piquetle a week before. They're going to be talking to Jos Herman, saying, hey, this is what we're thinking. If they Look, if they they're not going to announce something on Friday that the elite athletes haven't been aware of for some time.
1: But it's still not going to be quite the same to me. I'll be excited for it. But come on, let's don't act like these guys have been training hard for this race that we didn't know if it was going to happen or not. I've always wondered this. When these major marathons add someone to the film, I mean, Chicago always does this. They'll add somebody you know, to a September or October race right now in August. And I'm like, how is that working? Were they training specifically for that race, knowing they would get in? It seems weird to me.
0: No, how it works is someone like that will train with the idea of getting fit for a full marathon. And if they feel fit enough... They'll say, hey, I'm good. I'm going to run one. Someone doesn't just sign up for a marathon if you're a pro in August without knowing that they're in pretty good shape and ready to rock.
2: Yes. Isn't what we're seeing with like the Bowerman Track Club women, they're running excellent times. Some people are very fit right now. It's maybe contrary to what you would think, but some of these guys in, Kenya, in Ethiopia, maybe they're just pounding out the miles. So if Shelby Houlihan's in grape shape, why can't Bekele be in grape shape? And, you know, we'll talk about this later, but On Running is launching a new pro group, coached by Dathan Ritzenheim, and Joe Klecker is like the lead athlete in the group. He's talking about being in sub-13 shape, or 13-minute shape. I mean, that's like huge above where he's been before, but like, clearly people are staying fit during COVID. So... If there's London, I'm excited. Super excited.
0: But here's the difference, well, and you're like, well, Shelby Houlihan's fit. Why can't Bekele be fit? Well, Shelby Houlihan and everyone in Bauman just swears by whatever Jerry Schumacher says. He'll tell them to do something. They'll tell them to jump. He says how they say how high. Bekele, this is a guy who's had some motivation issues, some professionalism issues in the last few years. And if he doesn't have a race on his schedule, I think it's very easy to see that he's slacking off or he's not training, you know, with the dedication that requ- is required to compete with Kipchoge.
1: Plus, <laughs> the bowerman track club didn't shut down. <laughs> they went to altitude and kept training. In America, they have the ability to test all the time. They don't necessarily have that in Kenya. <laughs> Kipchoge's training camp has been shuttered for months. <laughs> I mean, it's a different ball game over in Africa third world Africa than it is in the United States. So, we'll see what happens. But guys, let's get to the other action. We want to talk about it. But before we do it, let's give, remind some people what happened last week. We did a soft launch to the Let's Run.com Supporters Club. We said you could become a founding member of the Supporters Club. You're gonna get early access to our features. There's gonna be a bonus podcast, a monthly column by John Kellogg, maybe even Zoom calls with us, and you save, you can save big. In honor of our 20th anniversary, 20% on running shoes from Pacers Running, with a few tiny exceptions, ad-free message board experience, all of that, you can try it out for only $1 a month. Normally, it's $9.99. So you're basically going to get saving money by signing up. And I said, for those of you that signed up last week, I would send you a secret Elliot Kipchoge goat t-shirt.
2: It's not Elliot Kipchoge, for the record. Excuse me. Trademark and re- for reasons. Elliot Kipchoge will not be on this T-shirt.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not anything to do with Elliot Kipchoge, guys. I'll
1: Make send way. you a sweet T-shirt that I've designed.
0: It is sweet. I can confirm that
1: it's worth forty dollars. So basically, you can save twenty percent. We your don't even fees.
0: have a price for it. Robert just throw stuff
1: out there. No, this shirt when I sell it will be called charged forty dollars unless you're a supported member. Anyways, I said if you email me last week. You could get the free shirt. A number of people took me up on the offer. But guys and gals, if you email me, you got to tell me your shirt size and your address.
2: I, I'm not a mind reader. So, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we've been trying to keep this so quiet because Robert made this offer. Well, first of all, we need an email address. The email VIP at let'srun.com, you can get this offer. And I think this week we can maybe say you got to sign up for the yearly membership. No, I don't care. Just
1: sign up. VIP at letsrun.com. And then send me the email with your shirt size and shirt address. Because I actually, I've been struggling with my business. I came in, I, I had to, I had designed this shirt, but then it wasn't in the right format, John. I had to pay some guy on Fiverr, like 200 bucks now to put it in Photoshop or something. I okay, don't know.
0: Guys, this is like the longest running promo in the show's history. We need to get up, get done with this and get back to track talk. So wrap it up, Rojo. If
1: you want to sign up, Go to com slash subscribe, com slash subscribe. The soft launch is still going on. Those that you sign up during this and email email us at t-shirt at Let's Run. I mean, excuse me, VIP at Let's Run, VIP at Let's Run. We'll get the shirt.
0: All right, let's go to Friday night. We had some track action in Oregon. This is in perhaps the most infuriating, well, not the most infuriating thing of COVID. There are many infuriating things. But, you know, a minor inconvenience for us track nerds is... The Big Friendly Three, there's two meets happening in the United States on Friday night. They're happening at the exact same time. You can't watch them simultaneously. So it's the Big Friendly Three with Pete Julian's crew, OTC, Brooks Beast, and then Bauman Track Club doing their own thing, trying to go for the American records, world records in the 4x1500 meters. Let's start with the big... I mean, guys, I feel like we can just coordinate on this. Can't they just say, hey, you start like an hour later, or someone does Friday and someone does Saturday? I mean... It's a little thing, but it's kind of annoying, right?
2: I don't think anybody cares. But couldn't they just say to do it the same track one after another or something? Anyways, I'm just glad there's something, because I started thinking about the fall, and I'm like, wait, we won't have these random meets we don't even know about popping up. We're at least having this. This gives us something to talk about. The fall could just be like the Sahara Desert, man.
0: Barren, like, man. Barren. You're right. Ooh. Track athletes take off October. No, you know, they're training in November, but they're not really racing. I mean, yeah, you're not going to have stuff. We'll
2: like just that. have to... Like, start raising, like, bounties and stuff and be like...
0: No, Southern Hemisphere, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, you need to come up big. This is your time to shine, all right? You know, we've got to have start finding some correspondence down there and putting on some meets, that sort of thing. But anyway,
1: back to the meets. The big news was, Dalvin Brazier runs a world leader 143.84 in the Bowman Track Club. Women break the world record in the 4x1500 running 16... 16-
0: Sixteen twenty seven point oh four. Sixteen
1: twenty seven point oh four. So that's the big news, but I'm wondering, guys, are we disappointed by those
0: times? You well, Robert, wasn't your grade like A for world record for Brazier, B for American records, C for anything w anything lower than that? I mean, I think one hundred forty three is nope. perfectly fine against no competition. That's still faster than any other American not named Brazier ran last year. What grade do you give it though, Robert?
1: I think that that criteria was for Monaco, was it not?
0: I thought it was for was it for Monaco or was it for this one? I don't know. Unclear.
1: Can someone remind me what the American record is?
0: 142. Uh, so he's a second and a half off. four to me, I think is the off the top it of my was head. So
1: so it didn't really get me excited. I think it's a decent opener. I, I think he could potentially still get the American record in Monaco, but it did not move the needle needle for me. It didn't make me concerned, but it didn't make me go, wow, amazing.
2: Okay, a couple of things. This talk of him breaking the American record was nuts. Like, I bought into it for a second. Come on. He's not going to break the American record his first race out. This is an outdoor record. This isn't some soft indoor record. So we should have never bought into that. But I think it sets him up very well for Monaco. And speaking of things to get excited about, we're less than two weeks away from Monaco. It's going to be tremendous. We, we'll we have Bryce Hoppel racing Donovan Brazier in Monaco for... If you follow Hopple on Instagram, that appears to be the case. I'm sure some other guys are going to be in this race. I mean, a real race in one of the major venues of the world, the athletes are going to it. Like, this is going to be as good as it gets, I think, in 2020. So,
0: I mean... Pardon my French, we're going to hype the shit out of this thing on Let's Run. But... Weldon, you said talking talk of the American record was kind of ridiculous for Brazier. I I, I agree. It's a little, you know, I think Ken Goh had a quote from him afterwards. He's like, I don't know where that that hype came from. Well, actually, I think it came from Ken's article because I read it and it's like, could Brazier break the American record? So I think he was one of the people driving that train. But I think here's the thing about Brazier. For me, this guy's ceiling, basically unlimited, like After watching him rip that 335, jogging the first three laps and then destroying everyone, after watching what he did last year in the Diamond League final in Doha, after watching him screw around for three laps and still break the American record at Milrose earlier this year, this guy, his potential is basically unlimited. Like The world record's on the table. I'm not going to put anything out of this guy's reach, including just like (laughs) breaking the world record in his opener. I mean, that's obviously probably not going to happen, but this guy's so good that I think anything... I, he's one of those guys I think anything can happen when he steps on the track.
2: Yes, he's this generation's Alan Webb. You need to watch it every time. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. And it's a testament to his ability, how he's delivered on the biggest stages, that you're, you can, you really couldn't rule it out even though now. I'm like, oh, we shouldn't have bought into it. You just, you're like, wow, this guy is so talented. Prince Albert, the guy... You don't say the king of Monaco, the guy in charge of Monaco, the prince of Monaco.
0: It's a principality, so the prince is in charge, right? Right.
2: Um, He's a big track and field fan. So I wonder, you know, if the prince wants the meet to go on, the meet goes on. But he probably needs some journalists there, right? Like, I'm just kind of putting it out there. What if he's a podcast listener? Your Excellency, we would love to come to Monaco and promote the sport and show all you're doing to... Give hope to the world. And I'm sure you're doing an excellent job in combating COVID. And the rest of the world should learn from the little principality what you guys are doing. So,
0: all right, all right. Well, then get off your knees. Let's uh, talk about the rest of the meat here. Brazier
1: wonders where th- this talk is coming from. But did you guys see this article? It's on NBC Sports, published August 4th. I guess that would be yesterday. Saying, respectfully, Donovan Brazier believes he has a chance at the legendary world record. And he said he told Lee Duffy of NBC Sports, I think I definitely have the opportunity. If we're looking at guys that are currently racing right now, I think I might have the best opportunity to do it. So that's big talk. And one thing I'm, while we're talking about this Monaco 800, questions I have is, it's not like we assume, oh, is going to be, I think there's some assumption now, Brazier's unstoppable, he's unbeatable. Well, that's not really the case. Does anyone remember the name Nigel Amos? I
0: think I've heard of him. Yeah, he's been running some of these meets. I mean, like we said, we've criticized him and Brazier have been dodging each other at these big friendlies.
1: I'm wondering where he is. Isn't he part of the Oregon Track Club? He ran one 4 by 4 but this guy ran 141 last year. He also ran 141 right by 2012. This guy's been doing it seven years apart. Um, anyone remember Emmanuel Correa? Where is he? Isn't he based in the U.S.? Why isn't he racing? He's run 142.05, I believe. So, yeah, I guess Brazier's probably better odds than those guys, but, you know, uh, I'd say we can't ha- hold hand him the 2021 gold medal quite yet. But let's talk about this world record for the Bowerman Track Club women. 1627. Are we impressed by that or not? I know it's a world record, but their PRs average out to be 401 per woman, and they average 406 per woman. So I'm trying to think like if you're running five seconds off your PR with no rabbit, is that pretty good or not? I would say it's about kind of what you would expect.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's not. I wasn't like, oh my god, I can't believe they ran that fast. But if you look at the team here, Elise Cranny, Shelby Houlihan, Colleen Quigley, Carissa Schweizer. That's a solid effort for being solo. I don't think this was the race they were trying to peak for. They just saw this record. And if you look at the people who, the, the women who were on this Kenyan team that set the record, Faith Kipyegon and Helen and were two of the members of that team. That's a pretty heady company right there. So um, I think that's a pretty solid effort for the Bowman babes.
2: It's a pretty good run. I mean, I'm not shocked that they broke the record, but I think we're underselling it a bit. The Bowerman team has been going out every week on their own and competing just against themselves. And they seem motivated, and they're able to do it. Like, at some point, I might be like, this isn't a glorified practice. It's a time trial. I hated time trawling. I loved racing. I'd be like, "Uh, I'm not time trawling again. But somehow, Jerry is able to get underneath their skin, keep them motivated, and there's... Robert speculated right before this podcast started that there may be an American record in the mile attempt this week. So, could the final Bowerman Track Club meet be? There's no way it's bigger than them all. We've already had a 12:47 five k, and a 14:24, three. Did I already forget? Damn it! 14:23 American record by Shelby Houlihan. I mean, this has just been some really great, great racing and some great motivation. It shows you what an elite athlete, a professional athlete, can do when 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 they flip that switch. Um and it also shows time trialing, racing. You can get your body to run pretty close to its maximal in a variety of atmospheres. You don't it's not about having fans there, that sort of thing. Yes, message board
1: exclusive. Guy posting or gal posting under the name of Nike Man. Well, it's like this is a rumor. This is happening, folks. The message board is rarely wrong. Last race of the Belmont for the, for the year for the Bowman Track Club is this Friday. And it sounds like they're running the mile, among other things. Shelby's fifteen hundred PB of three fifty four point nine nine is faster than the equivalent for the American record of the mile four sixteen point seven one by Mary Slaney, that which has stood for almost thirty five years. I did the math. If you can use the one point zero eight zero two conversion, Shelby's converts to a four thirteen point eight four. So, will she get the American record? I say she will. Oh, and by the way, this poster, Nike Man, I just looked up at their IP. Guess where they're posting from?
0: Yeah, Portland. I know Nike Man married Texas runner girl. They met on the message boards. You've you've met this guy in person, I'm sure, many times. Oh, I
1: didn't know that was Dave Ross. Yes, they're posting from Beaverton. So this is an accurate... Uh, what I'm just I, I see a random name on there. I'm just reading it off. It could be. It's not a random name
0: though. What do it's you mean? Like he used to have your job. John, you don't years.
1: improve your language and respect for me, he'll have it again. He used to do the interviews at the at the <laughs> free fun Dave, I apologize for not recognizing your handle there. But anyways, this is bona fide locks lock source. So yes, I think Shelby will get the American record.
2: Robert, I, I assume you have VIP privileges, on let's run. You're a VIP. You now can click on Nike Man, see all of his posts, track his posts, get alerts when Nike Man posts. You can do the same yeah, for we me. We don't want
0: to encourage stalking here. Well, then, but you know,
2: all of my wisdom, you know, see when I post, Renato Canova or somebody like that.
0: Yeah. Do Do I think she'll get the record? I mean, I don't know. Three. We're just saying, like, oh, Shelby's run 3:54 before. So if she can get back to that fitness, well, she ran that at absolute peak fitness in a world championship final with you know, being towed along by some of the world's best runners. I think it's going to be tough to get to that exact level.
1: Well, they're talking about whether she can break the the world record, which is 412. I don't think she can do that unless she's got male pacers the entire way. But I think that the American
2: record is doable. Okay, a few things here. World record? That's faster than her 1500 PR equivalent. No way. Not happening. The American record? How many seconds do we have to deal with here? You said the conversion, like two and a half? I'm not sure. I mean, Shelby's run... Let's see here. Her best 1500s, she's run 402 this year. I think she ran a 405 or something on this 4x15. So she she probably hasn't run all out in a 15. But we're thinking she's got to be in like 357, 358 shape. Possibly. But there's a reason it's the American record. Oh, if she could get Mary Slaney off the record book forever, that would be great. America's Little Darling, who... Everybody seems to love, and no one questions what she may have done to get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out. Houlihan only split, depending on where you look at it, 404 or 405. Some people had her one second slower than Christian Swarger. Some people had her one second faster last week. But that'll be interesting to think about. But let's move to the bowman men when we're talking about the 4x1500. Some people in the message board were making a big deal of the fact that Grant Fisher— Split a 336, although Race Results Weekly listed as a 337. It was the fastest split of the day in their 1434 American record by the four men of Evan Jager, Grant Fisher, Sean McGordy, and Lopez LeMong. But, and people, oh, he's got a decision made to now to run, whether to run the 1500 or 5000 at USA's. I, I don't think so at all. The fact that he went out in like 55 and was towed along and rabbited perfectly by Mohamed for a 336 running like a 58 on his last lap does not mean to me that he should run the 1500 he did run a 336 open earlier but people just because you can a a good 5k guy can go out fast and hang on in a mile and run a bunch of 58s in a lap does not make them a good miler do you not understand that you have to switch gears you have to be able to slam at home galen rub can run what a 350 349 mile if you ever put him in a USA's, he would get at his doors absolutely blown off in a 1500. So no, he he should not run. Well, I think he should run the 1500, but after the 5,000 at USA's next year, I mean, it's con- conceivable maybe he could have a standard. Not that many people have a standard. He goes to the Olympics in the event, but he's not a 1500 meter runner. Anyone else disagree?
0: No, I agree with you. I But I will say, I would have loved to see what Galen Rupp, like 2013 Galen Rupp, what he could have done in a 1500. Like, do you think... He could have made a world team in the 1500 in 2012 or
2: 2013. No. Agreed. No. You know, I'm so sick of this. Oh, I'd love to see what Rupp could have done in 2013 and the 1500. I know, but the this guy's is not the whole my thing.
0: Order. I think it would have been interesting to see. I, I tend to agree with you. Look, Grant Fisher, this isn't even a question. He should be in the 5K. But wouldn't you love to see what Rupp could do in a 1500 file? Or are you just like, oh, I don't even care. It's stupid. I think as a running fan of the sport, it's an interesting question to have answered.
2: Didn't we see him run a three fifty indoor mile?
0: Yeah, th- that's totally different from running USA final. Well, then.
2: And also, I mean, people don't listen to what I'm saying. I am the guy who also thought Matthew Central should be a five k runner, not a fifteen hundred meter runner. So disregard anything I'm saying on the mile. But we're already speculating what Grant Fisher should run at twenty twenty one nationals. There's no way he's he's making the Olympic team in the mile. So. Famous last words. I'm pretty confident in that.
0: No, that won't happen. Like Thompson, Engels, Centro, there's way too many guys. Well,
2: there aren't that many great milers in the U.S. right now. There
1: aren't that many people with the standard. So if there's only five or six people, it's conceivable he could make it, but it's unlikely. I mean, he's not beating Thompson or Centro on his own team if they're healthy. That's not even debatable.
2: Speaking of not any great milers in the U.S. right now, your guy's boy, Craig Engels, got smoked by Josh Kerr. In the fifteen hundred, You guys were anointing Craig Ingalls as like the next Olympic champion. Oh, I'm a no one's of Craig, doing that. But, like, don't be
0: ridiculous. Well, then.
2: You guys were, just kept asking like like Craig was like a. I don't know. What's PB now, actually? I'm, let's say like a 330 guy, and he's not.
0: Okay. He's, he's the reigning U.S. champ. I think you've got to pay him some respect. He beat Centro at USA's last year.
1: Oh, oops. Forgot that. But Centro was not in shape last year.
0: Se- Centro, I mean, he was fit enough. It's not like. He ran like what 352 at pre. He ran 30 well, last right. September. S- like
1: Centro did run 331.
0: Yeah, Engels' PB and, for the record 33404. <laughs> like, I, I think you know. He, though I view him. I guess I mean right now, if I was to look project that team, it would be Engels, Centrowitz, and, and Thompson is probably the top three. But that's a sort of a different conversation. But yeah, Josh Carr, who is also really good. Like we got to remember, Josh Carr was beating Craig Engels in college. He made he beat him at Worlds last year. I'm not. I'm kind of surprised how badly he dusted him in that race, but getting beaten by one of the best 1,500 runners in the world isn't, it's not something you should be embarrassed about. Look,
1: look, look. look. First of all, Weldon needs to correct what he said earlier, to be factual. Jonathan Galt is the one that's always going on the Craig Ingalls, on the trend. I like Craig. I know his high school coach. But when I saw they were racing each other, I actually text, texted his high school coach and I said, oh, "I wonder what's going to happen tonight. Does Josh Kerr blow away Craig yet again?" And that's exactly what happened. And if you look up their Craig is that threw what head you texted head, him, Robert? That's exactly what I texted him. I can show it to you on my phone right now.
2: Let's actually look it up. It's While he's doing this, Josh Kerr is so underrated. He was six at Worlds last year, and. You know, he's an NCAA champion. Maybe because he's not American, he doesn't quite get quite the publicity that Ingles does. And Ingles has the big personality and is a U.S. champion and is a very good runner.
0: Josh Kerr is also four years younger than Craig Engels. Josh Kerr is still only 22 years old.
1: Jonathan, could you see that when I put my phone up to the, to the camera?
0: Sorry, do it again. I assume he gets destroyed by... He's got the receipts, ladies and gentlemen. Robert, I, I should never have doubted you. So I said,
1: is Engels in shape? And I just wrote back, I assume he gets destroyed by Josh Kerr. And that's exactly what happened. Yes, Josh Kerr is the real deal. And when the J- Brooks Beast got him, I'm like, wow, they, they, they sign a grade A talent. You want to sign grade A. Look, like, people talk about which group is going to produce the talent. No, the talents produce the results. I mean, let's be honest. Josh Kerr was a phenomenal collegiate runner and he is a really good pro and he, he does own Craig Engels. The career head to head, according to Tillis Four to one with four victories in a row, and the closest they've ever raced is—I mean, okay, this week was 0.5 of a point se- four eight of a second. The last time they raced in Doha, they he beat uh, Kerr was sixth, Ingles was tenth. It was over almost a second one point seven seconds, another half a second at NCAs in two
2: thousand seventeen. Okay, we don't need to go through the list. Who actually saw this race this weekend? Can someone sort of give the viewers? Because I just see show notes that he smoked him. Like
0: I watched it. Kerr took off with like 500 to go, and it that was it was just over. Like, no one went with him. He got a gap. Half no a one second could over 500? It. Pretty commanding. <laughs> well, the, the, no, the race he, was no, over no, no. Like He had five. it put away Weldon with 100 to go. Well, the guys
2: kicked it in and made it close. I just like being a contrarian. I'm on the Ingalls bandwagon now. I'm going to make Ingalls t-shirts of my own. They'll be $200, so email me personally. You'll have to pay for them, people. I'm not doing this free stuff.
0: Well, make sure you get him to market. You, you were mad that we were saying these Elliot Kipchoge shots. You got to get Engels' marketing sign off if you're going to. No, I am. Make money. Craig
2: and I are going to be on this. We're going to we're going to go. We're going to we're going to get rich together. Okay, okay. but not only did it
1: Engels, also William Polson, Princeton alum, he now runs for Canada. He was second in that race. But then you've got you know Vincent Cialdi, Sam Prankle, Henry Wynn. Let's talk about the US 1500. We all agree that Centurion is a study of healthy. We think Josh Thompson is a stud, right? If healthy, Blanket Chips, though, is getting up there in age. Like Robbie Andrews is coming back from surgery. I mean, those, I think if those guys are healthy, they're probably beating everybody else. Like, who, who else? I mean, if you look at the US
0: 1500 meter list. Well, wait, what do you mean those guys? Are you including Engels in that group? Well,
1: I'm just wondering. I'm looking at the US 1500 meter list f- from last year. You got Central at 331. The second guy on the US 1500 meter list last year. Is this right? Drew Hunter, three thirty-five, ninety. Nobody else in America ran faster than
0: Robert. You're looking at you're looking at 2018. So look, 2019. Matthew Centurions, three thirty-two. Engels, three thirty-four. Thompson, three thirty-five. Henry Wynn, three thirty-five. Brandon Kidder, three thirty-five. Johnny Gregoric, three thirty-five. you've got a bunch of guys in that conversation, I think Gregoric. Look, Massachusetts guy, Ivy League guy. I got some love for him. World Championship finalist in 2017. I mean, I think he... he 349 miler. He needs to be considered uh, for these spots. Drew Hunter's not really a 5, 1500 guy anymore, but, you know, to to me, I already said it. I think it's Angles, Centrowitz, and Thompson if they're all healthy, but you could have another guy, one of these guys improves. I think these other guys are in the conversation, but in a second tier. I think probably... Gregoric is the one I feel best about outside of that group of top three.
1: We know that. Well, then Jonathan, if he's not jumping on that Ingles train, he's always jumping on the Gregoric train. I wouldn't sleep on Robbie Andrews if he's healthy. That's a good point,
0: If Andrews is healthy, but it's been a while.
1: And and some are talking about the uh, other uh, Bowerman Track Club guy, McGordy of Stanford, even though he's been losing to Fisher in the 1500 this year.
0: Has he? Anyway. I thought No, I thought he got second in when they raced the 1500. I thought McGordy was second in that one behind Ahmed. Never mind. I stand corrected. Grant Fisher was third, 336.23. Sean McGordy fifth, 337.12. I think McGordy's also a 5K guy. To everyone who
1: thinks that, and I can see why, because I think Fisher could probably be in the mix with some of these middle, or, you know, mid-tier 1500-meter guys in the US, particularly if it's a time trial. But, John, remind our viewers who was second in that race. Mark Scott. Yes. Yeah, so, folks, when you're losing to the NCAA 10,000-meter champ in a 1,500-meter race, it means you're not a 1,500-meter runner. So, one other thing we've gotten, I, I think I read it on the message board, or someone emailed me. So, this Bowman Track Club mile is going to be on Friday with Houlihan. And Monaco is the next week. Why isn't Shelby going to Monaco? I mean, come on. You're going to have to extend your season an extra week. Laura Muir's in shape. Jenna Riki's in shape. Come on, Shelby. Get on the plane and race these girls.
0: I mean, I'd love to see it, but... You've got to remember a few things. One, she's been racing pretty much every week for the last four or five weeks, which is a lot. And then also getting to Europe. I mean, I know some American stars are doing it, but some American people, some Americans are going to be worried about that travel, about having to go there, go there just for one race. I don't know. I think there are reasons that if she doesn't want to go to Monaco to race during the middle of a global pandemic... I can get that. But yes, would it be great to see her against Hassan and some of the the Scots? Amazing, yeah.
2: Okay, for the record, I'm looking at the schedule of Monaco. There's a women's... Oh, no. Men's 5,000. There's a women's 1,000 meter. Oh, no, excuse me. There is a women's 5,000. So that could be right up her alley. It's going to be kind of hot, though.
1: Remember, folks, I'm not into the 5,000 in Monaco. It's going to be too hot. Jonathan's mad that I'm not paying attention to that race.
0: Where was the American record set...
1: I don't know, John. You'd have to tell me.
0: For five men's five thousand, where'd they set the American record, Robert? Monaco, twenty eleven. Just saying, like writing off money. Oh, it's too far. It's too hot to run fast. I mean, people people do it. People have run really fast in Doha too. It's I just think it's silly to say. Oh, the weather's probably going to be too hot. You don't even know what the weather's going to be like next week.
2: We're debating twenty twenty one, guys. If I ha- if I host a huge track meet in the U S. in like October. You think anyone would show up? Fans? Athletes? Athletes. I think, final COVID thing, I think that, that'll be like the sweet spot. People be itching for stuff to do, but I think by then all the track runners will quit running, the marathoners will have given up, have nothing to run, and the perfect time for a meet, no one no, will be there to no, show up. No, we
0: already talked about why this won't work. Everyone will have said they've ba- they'll have bagged it because they'll say the season's over, the Olympic trials are very early next year, they're in the middle of June. October, they're going to be taking time off and getting ready for 2021. No one's going to show up to your track meet, Weldon. Sorry.
1: While we're talking about American records, can we move to our th- weekly throw talk?
0: I was incredibly Don't am- you mean amazed. like mon- monthly throw talk, Well, Robert? Let's, Semi-annual let's throw, throw, throw. <laughs> Over the weekend,
1: I think in Utah, Valerie Allman, two-time U.S. discus champion, she PR'd by nearly 10 feet. She threw 70 meters Point 15. She broke the US discus record of 6917. So she broke the US dis- discus record by more than three feet, almost one full meter. And this just amazed me. And it reminded me of Bob Beeman in. Mexico City, 1968, when he destroyed the American record and the world record. Some people did not like that analogy on the message board. Instead of, there's like three or four pages in the message board talking about this, but most of the talk is about how bad my analogy was. I thought my analogy was great. My, my, my father, as a young boy, Todd Weldon and I gave us pictures of Bob Beeman in the sand and said, you need to dream the impossible dream. And Weldon, despite never breaking 30 minutes in college, dreamed that he could be in the Olympics, didn't quite make it. But he got fourth in the U.S. twice, ran 28.06. And this reminded me of stuff. People are like, no, Bob Beeman broke the world record by 6%. She only broke the American record by 1.5% or something like that, John. I thought it was great that I was highlighting throws. And yet again, the haters just come on out.
0: I know you try to throw some love for the women's discus and you get nothing but criticism. Uh, No, I I mean, I saw the headline. I I saw your message board thread. I'm like, well, this is totally ridiculous, obviously. But I was also, I'm like, it's Robert, you know, that's what you do. You go on the message board, you try to stir some stuff up. You get some, you know, some positive opinions, some negative opinions. But again, it's a pretty incredible, I mean, obviously... Breaking the American record, and sorry, breaking that PR by 10 feet in the discus on one throw, pretty phenomenal.
1: This is why, John, I'm going to make a great director of track and field somewhere. And, and I believe the opening is at Dartmouth College Dartmouth now, John. Dartmouth
0: College, yeah,
1: yeah. See, throws coaches, sprint coaches, I need your support for this job if I end up applying. Because you got to follow all the sports. But uh, I've learned a lot about the throws from this thread. Do you guys know that throwers, I've always wondered about this, like do jumpers regularly PR in practice? They don't. They need the adrenaline. But apparently, throwers regularly PR in practice all the time. According to mes- two message board posters, um, everyone has thrown farther in practice than their real PR. Some people always do. But you, you take enough throws in practice, it's inevitable that you at least some of the time. So pretty interesting stuff from the discus. But one message board poster, run to run to run, did point out Bob Beeman broke the world record and won Olympic gold. Val almonds in front of our global audience Val Almond set a national record on a meet attended by maybe a dozen people some perspective please uh, pretty pretty good point p- point there but
2: yeah obviously did Barry Harwick r- retire at Dartmouth?
0: yeah well that I'm surprised we didn't have a black page for his outstanding career six hex cross-country titles
2: No, Barry was a good guy he's coach and I was there very good coach but oh my gosh if Robert got back into coaching I was the Dartmouth coach. And then John could, like, if he did a bad job, could try to get him fired and then could use that for leverage to get, like, paid more at Let's Run. Well, or, why would I John- do
0: that? We, if if Robert gets hired as Let's Run, we need as, as head coach, we need to relocate all of Let's Run, the HQ to Hanover, we'll start a thousand-year dynasty, it'll be great.
2: Right. Or Robert could take it to the top of the promised land. John already supports, said he supports
1: it. I actually mentioned it to my wife. She started looking at houses. I haven't bothered to apply in the last week, but I'm, I'm considering it. Trivia, I mean, which – there's only two sports in Ivy League history that have won eight outright uh, Ivy League titles in the NCAA sport that all eight Ivy League teams sponsor, and that's the 18, Cornell Men's – mean
0: eight in a row? Yes, eight in a
1: row, and that's the Cornell Men's Track and Field Team, which I was part of, and the Dartmouth Cross Country Team, which Barry
2: and Vinland Anna were part of, so – See, John, he's got to if he's going to interview, he's got to get these stats down. We'll have to coach him. I don't know. I,
0: I yeah, you know, I can do that. I can just make sure he's on the talking points, and then we use that winning personality to put him over the top. It'll be like
2: it'll be like the
1: George Bush debates when people thought he had a little earpiece. John can we'll have a we'll have a little I'll have one of those. They're like, sir, why are you wearing one of those uh, Apple iPods in your ear? Uh, I have a hearing aid. It's a hearing. <laughs> it's a new type of hearing aid, and John will be hearing everything on the phone and
2: Ooh. pumping the proper. Speaking of coaches, a prominent American distance runner is officially now a prominent coach. Dathan Ritzenhain announced as the coach. John, you broke this story of the On Running Athletic Club. Is that their
0: name? On-athletic On Athletic Club. Almost well done. On Athletics Club, OAC. Uh, yeah, based in Boulder. Ritz is their coach. Joe Klecker, um, it's their first signing. They're going to be. There's a lot of rumors floating around on the message board. You know, you don't have to poke too hard to see who, who might be joining them. But uh, so far, Klecker is the, the one they've announced. The rest to come shortly. So,
2: I mean, Klecker's like kind of a big name. But for some of our audience members who don't know him, he's an NCAA runner-up a couple times, right?
0: Yeah, two-time NCAA runner-up. Now, you know, he, he I think they're kind of hoping, they're thinking, hey, this guy could have been a big star if he had won a title indoors or outdoors, you know we've made a style of investment. Obviously he's got a lot of potential. He's very good, but there are a lot of good runners in the NCAA this year. Like it's not a guarantee he would have beaten like Tyler Day or Yarrod Nagoose or some of those guys indoors. Um, so I think it's something of a risk, but one, I think it's great to see a company investing in American, you know, in, in distance running here and starting a new pro group. They have said it's not just going to be Americans. They want an international flavor, but yeah, you know, I'm never going to be mad about some company putting money into the sport. I think it's a good thing.
2: Yep. And then Klecker, we've been waiting. This thing hasn't... I thought this was a joke yesterday. There's rumors that a sub-four mile happened in Colorado. As great as Colorado is in distance running, it's never happened. And then it turns out that Klecker and...
0: Ollie Hoare, 2018 NCAA champ from Wisconsin.
2: Both went sub-four, and so... Horace is going to be in the group for all things from social media. I think maybe that's why this thing hasn't been publicized. Maybe Alicia Monson. Like, yeah, let's, let's just get the
1: names out. We've heard Horace definitely and Alicia Monson. I don't know why they're trying to act like people don't know who's in this group now. The thing that struck me about this is this is a big-time group. They're going in with big money. And I think Weldon's been to the founder of On Running's House, right, in Switzerland? I mean, this this guy's came from a triathlon background, they hired some Brooks guy and they're kind of trying to do the Brooks beast, but it sounds like maybe with even with at least that much money. So I think that the more groups, the better, but you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, people are are debating, will Ritz be a good coach? How good will he be? And to me, the the answer is simple. How good are the athletes are they going to give him? You know, if he gets great A talent, he should be able to do pretty well with it. It's like Alberto Salazar. I'm not saying some coaches aren't better than others, but Alberto Salazar, when he first started the night he worked in a project and was coaching people of my brother's, roughly, ability, he wasn't dominating the world. When he started getting the MoFairs and the Galen rups of the world, he was dominating the world. Hassans. So the same thing is here. You know, as someone pointed out in the message board, if it was all about coaching Renato Canova would have turned China into a power. Remember when he went over to China and was coaching the national team? Not much of what happened there, and he came back to Kenya. So you get grade A talent, you you can do it. But what was fascinating to me about this whole signing was Ritz saying, is doing workouts that I did when I ran 1256. And he gave a very specific workout. I think it was a a mile repeat. And he's like, look, but he did that at altitude. I did this at sea level. And you're like, oh, is this just hyperbole for Ritz or not? And then we see that, Wow, Cucker broke four minutes in the mile at like five or six thousand feet. That's impressive for a five k guy. His five thousand PR is only thirteen thirty. He's going to run one in a few weeks. I think next week. I'm predicting well under thirteen fifteen. Some people are debating: Is he in thirteen minutes shape? Really impressive stuff. I I, I think this is a good signing for him. And you know, people are like, oh, he's never won NCAA title. Well, last time I checked, Paul Chalima never won NCAA title. Matt Teigenkamp never won an NCAA title. So you can be very good without winning an NCAA title.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about top-tier talent, Robert. He, he's he's one of them. NCAA cross-runner-up. And also, Ollie Hoare is an NCAA champion in the fifteen hundred. So those are two pretty blue chippers to start a group with.
2: Yeah, Robert, I have met the founder of Olivier Bernard into his house in Switzerland. Really cool guy. And I wonder how many years ago that was. And it's pretty crazy because I, th- I don't know if I actually told him this. But my advice would have been, hey, if you want to get established as a running brand in the United States, you got to get established with the elite running community um, and make good quality running shoes. And I think a lot of brands make good running shoes, but you need pros racing in your shoes, and the running community trusts them. And then it, I think there's a, it feeds on that. Brooks has done that, I feel like, and they've grown a lot. Hoka has done that. And everyone starts from a different thing. Like, Hoka started in Trail, that sort of thing. So it's pretty interesting, because honest has taken off w- with the fashion set already. And this is a big step, I think, for them. Prior to this, you know, they sponsored some smaller teams, Zap Fitness. Some of the California runners, Writer on sponsored. But- my hands group, right? No. Oh.
0: No, it's it's Zap Endurance and then Mammoth Track Club, which oh, is Track Andrew Club. Casta. Which actually... I'm kind of curious about where this leaves those groups because Mammoth Track already has two pro groups nominally. Zap Endurance, that's more of a developmental team Their contracts up at the end of next year. And then Mammoth Track Club has a few guys that contracts up at the end of this year. I mean, it's kind of curious that they started this new group centered around Klecker rather than, you know, sort of beefing up their existing groups. But
2: John, name me the best athlete in either one of those two groups.
0: Right. I mean, Reed Buchanan's in Mammoth, Nico Montanez, they're pretty good. Um, exactly. And Pinnell and the, yeah. I mean, they're more developmental groups than a full fledged, you know, think rival to OTC or Brooks or something like that, Brooks Beast.
1: What was interesting to me, though, is they also they, they put all their money, they, they let Clucker basically pick the coach. Which was fascinating to me. I mean, it was interesting, though, in your article, John pointed out Klecker's mother won the Olympic trials, so he's got good pedigree. It's kind of like Shelby Houlihan. Her mother was... Shelby Houlihan's mom was what? A, a great marathoner. Um, Shailene Flanagan's mom was a good marathoner. So,
0: Well, also, Klecker's dad, FOMO, had the world best at 50 miles. But one more thing to set the record straight here. So... There was this the tweet out a couple nights ago about how Klecker and Ollie Horde both broken four minutes in Colorado. Nick Willis replied to that tweet saying, Jorge Torres ran 359 15 years ago, and he claims they had three different watches on it, and a, it was a full mile. So this barrier may have been broken in secret. I may, I may need to reach out to Jorge Torres and do this, but Nick Willis, I, I trust that guy if they say they had three watches on it.
2: Practice, John. Practice.
0: It's like Quentin Cassidy breaking four for the first time at night just for the just for the hell of it.
1: With all these groups and people just throwing money at coaches, it kind of reminds me like when Weldon started – I mean not started, but Weldon was one of the first people in the internet era to go to Flagstaff and really pump up the high-load training. And we had John Keller coaching us. I remember thinking we should get some money ourselves. We kind of missed out. We didn't want to go back to Flagstaff and live there, but it just like might be easier. I always said being a pro coach would be the easiest job. You don't have to recruit very much. Other people recruit for you.
0: I t- it's interesting. What Robert, I talked to Ritz about this. We had a we talked for like an hour. I didn't get everything into the article, but he was kind of saying the same thing you were. Like he was at Oregon, his first coaching experience was an assistant, volunteer assistant when he was training in Eugene under Andy Powell in 2014. And he was like, Oh, this is great, you know, and he had a lot of talent to work with and great facilities. And then he spent some time at Grand Valley State, which is D2, and he was like, "Man, a lot of work goes into this stuff and you got, you know, between the recruiting and the races every weekend and all that stuff." He's like, "I I don't know if I want to do this kind of coaching." So I think he kind of saw he's like initially you think collegiate coach that's the thing, but then you get a pro coach, you're not on the road every weekend, you know, you get to work with the more talented individuals. I I think pro coaching is is the lifestyle yeah. between that and college. I mean,
1: the joke with college coaches is you work 35 to 40 weekends out of the year for thirty-five to $40,000 a year, um, you know, and, and sort of you have to hold the kids' hands. You have to show up for the easy days. If you're a pro coach, Jerry flies out to high altitude and flies home. The kids can take care of themselves for a few days on end with,
2: without you being there. I think the word is adults can take care of themselves. F- Flagstaff, for the record, I would go back there in a second. I love that place. I think actually Flagstaff is a better place to train than Boulder, so this will be interesting. And some people started talking about cost of living. Boulder's very expensive. But Flagstaff's at a higher altitude and you can get to lower altitude, so... I agree.
0: But but if you're Milo, would you want want to be based in Flagstaff if you're a Milo?
1: Yes, because you can get to lower altitude and, and do your workouts
2: once every other week or once a week. You can still go down much easier, so I think it is better. But you're right, it is generally more endurance athletes than Flagstaff. But they're sort of handing the keys to Klecker and Ritz, and but I guess they've got some backup athletes who are pretty good quality, right? Monson, NCAA champ, Whore, NCAA champ. So what Walden said on was already established in the in the fashion crowd. I kind of think
1: he's right. My my dad dropped by the other day. I hadn't seen him since beginning of COVID, and I think he, my dad doesn't even run. He's like, you should get some on shoes. I was like, what? And me he knew what they they were. So, my dad was actually we used to wear lots of Under Armour shirts. Still does. So, Under Armour. If you you're the only one that really doesn't have a big team. I know you've got some JV team in Flagstaff. If you want me to coach a team here in Baltimore, we can get altitude houses. We can dominate on. Maybe we'll don't we'll forget
0: about Dartmouth College here, Robert. You already you don't even have the job, and you're leveraging to get a pro deal instead. Well, I'm just trying
1: to get a higher salary from Dartmouth. You know, it's not about. You got to feel like you're in demand. So, guys, a few other things we've not talked about. Big news, yet another drug bust. The Moroccan national record holder in the marathon has been popped. Big news or not?
0: I don't view it as massive news because I think ninety-five, ninety-nine percent of people listening right now don't know that the the name of the Moroccan national record holder in the marathon. It's El Majoub Daza. Uh, the other thing is, I don't know. I mean. Do you guys feel the same way? Anytime you just see an outstanding Moroccan performance or by Moroccan born athlete, you get kind of suspicious. I just there's been so many doping positives and doping cases out of that country. It's it's sort of like that one Bahrain. I just don't know how much faith to put in them.
2: Is that hate speech, John? You're generalizing about a nationality of people think by terms of facebook or something that might be hate speech but i kind of agree with you until you guys just mentioned the name it's not like i was getting text alerts yesterday that this guy i've never heard of got busted so it's just sort of like ho-hum i'm not really that surprised well
1: he's won Prague and fukuoka before but no john i i agree with sort of your Indictment of the entire country of, of of Morocco. Actually, I have on the show notes. Like, is there any country whenever you see a fast performance besides other than Morocco? When Morocco is number one for me. I see a fast performance from a Moroccan athlete, and I immediately assume that athlete's on drugs. I, I can think of no other country. Well, that's not true. Russian women or Morocco, particularly for for the men. I mean, think about the athletes over the years. We had Sayed Awida. Right, he was setting world records. He tried to dope. According to Australian athletes, who became an Australian coach, he tried to dope them. Bulami still has a steeplechase world record, right?
0: No, he got that world well, record was that world record was not ratified because he doped.
1: Okay, so he set the world record and, and got popped f- for doping. Um, Rashid Ramsey, also Moroccan-born, at least I think they maybe been running for another country at the time, but whatever. Bahrain, yeah, popped. Um, it's just. I don't know. I mean, I guess people can go through, you know, Justin Gatlin and all these Americans, but...
0: No, I mean, I don't think... I My thought isn't immediately this person must be doping, but it's certainly... I'm, I get more suspicious just because these countries have not shown a commitment to anti-doping. The other country, Robert, you didn't mention is Turkey. Uh, whenever, you know, the 2012 Olympics, going 1-2 in the 1500, I think everyone immediately assumed both of those women were doping. They both were... I think these countries, they just sort of lose the benefit of the doubt. And it's, it's a shame because there are clean athletes in these countries. You look at Russia, like Maria lasset Sergey shebenkov uh Angelika Sidorova. They've all complained about this stuff that they're being lumped in with all of this, this whole j- doping scale. Now I can't guarantee they're clean, but they certainly are saying and doing what you would expect clean athletes to do. And it's a shame when their reputations are tarnished because of the malfeasance of others.
1: Yes. And speaking of Russia, I want to give a shout out to David Walsh, the great cycling journalist who helped bring down Lance Armstrong. He's written a book about the Russian doping scandal called the Russian affair with the Stepanovs. It's about the Stepanov story. So it just came out in the UK. I think you can read it on Kindle. We may try to have him or the Stepanovs on a future podcast. Wanted to give a shout out to that because I haven't been able to promote that on the website. But yeah, you know, it's, the, the, the doping is getting so, so tiresome, but you know, it's just part of the sport. There, there's no way around that. Before we get out of here, guys, I, a few other things I want to do. I think I may owe an apology to Evan Jaeger. Recent podcast, John's been upset that I've been critical of him for not beating people like Grant Fisher in these Bowman Track Club races or getting the mindset to win. And John's like, well, you know, he's still a really good steeplechaser. Because Recently, I think last week, they had that mile race in Indiana, you know, and the three American women ran under four twenty four for the first time. But the third placer there was Emma Coburn. So she's not winning these mile races either. And she's still gonna be probably winning medals in the steeplechase. But again, is she gonna be winning the gold medal? So if I'm gonna criticize Jager, I need to criticize Coburn or not criticize. <laughs> oh, that's both the lesson of
0: them. you take. I gotta criticize Coburn too. No, Robert, I just think here's the thing. When you're as good as Jaeger – I just judge him on what he does at the, the global championships. I don't really care about this other stuff. As long as like I look at what does he do at USA's, which he wins every year when he's healthy. What does he do at Worlds? He's medaled t- twice between Worlds and Olympics. Those are what I'm judging him on. Not some glorified time trial out in the, in the sticks.
1: But it's kind of interesting to think like what would, if Jager wasn't a steeper, what would his career be like? You know, I mean, some people, are, well, he might be like Ritz, a really good runner, but not really a factor on the world scene.
0: He made he made the world championship team in the 5,000 at age 20. He ran 332 in 2015. Now, I'll admit, I don't think he's a 1,500 guy. I think he'd be probably consistently making 5K teams or in the mix. You know, maybe, I don't think he can close quite like Ryan Hill, but he made it in 09 and he's run 1302. I mean, he'd be one of our top 5K guys, I think. I don't think he'd be in the mix for medals in the global stage, though.
2: All right, guys, we need a message board thread of the week. Do you guys want the message board thread of the week or the deleted thread of the week?
0: Use your judgment, Weldon, whichever one's going to ent- entertain our listeners more.
2: Donovan Brazier versus Lopez LeMong in a fight.
0: Oh, oh, that's a good one. I mean, I know Brazier has the... Uh, is, this the is this the deleted thread of the week, Weldon? This
2: was deleted. Not sure why. What's wrong? You know.
0: Well, it's worked it about mano a mano. I don't want these guys to fight, obviously, but if I had to do it, I mean, Brazier, I think, is a little taller. Uh, he probably has the longer reach. He's definitely, he's a Muhammad Ali fan, so he might be a little bit more studied in the sweet science. But Lemong, that guy, I mean, I think of Lemong as just being this huge jack guy, and he's probably not quite as big as I imagine, just because he is a, you know, 5K, 10K guy. But, oh, I don't know. That would be, I think I'd lean Brazier, but, I you know, Lamont could put up a fight for sure.
2: Lemong, I mean, the, I can see the deleted post. Somebody does point out Lemong was a lost boy in Sudan, so you might have kept military a bit tougher. Well, that's like the Chelima thing. When you grow up, you know
1: in poverty, are you tougher than other people? Since we're talking about Lemong and five thousand teams in Jager, John, I wanted to make a correction to the podcast on of it. I didn't make the mistake, but I thought it was interesting when you guys interviewed Molly Seidel, she, she, you know, she was raising money for in that ten thousand for charity um, to give, you know, inner city youth uh, sports sporting opportunities, which I think is a great charity and stuff like that. But she made the comment that sort of running is all white, in America. That's certainly not true at the professional level. I mean, I was doing, I heard that, and, and it made me do some research. Do you guys realize that in 2016, 41 percent of the Olympic spots, eight hundred through the marathon, were earned by non whites. Um, now that's counting two each in both the men's and women's 800s. Even if you throw that out, the 800s through through marathon is 30.6. percent So I mean, the men's 5000 team was all African born. So you know, now I'm counting Brenda Martinez and Matthew Centrowitz. I think a lot of people don't realize Matthew Centrowitz's mother is black. So
0: Robert, I mean, I look. I know we have some African born athletes in the distance events, but I'm th- th- her comment's still right. You're saying. R- look! Look at the high school level. Look nationally in the United States, running is a very white sport. Now, I can just come up with a stat. Wow! Do you know that uh, you know ninety-five percent of American pro runners have a five-k PR under fourteen minutes? Like that's that's so different. And you can't you can't just then say running is a sport where and generalized to the whole population, running is a sport where everyone has a PR under fourteen minutes. It's, it's ludicrous. You're using an exceptionally small sample size. Obviously, at the elite level of the sport. But I think you're just not answering her question. She was saying nationally, it's a very white sport. That's I think that's true. I I think you're moving the goalposts here.
1: Well, perhaps. I mean, I, I think you definitely need money generally to run in, in the U.S. It's more of a recreational activity. Even Paul Chima, the interview you guys did with him last week was interesting. Like, it doesn't sound like he was even training or competing until he decided to do that as a way to get out. It's not like he was, you know, when, when you got to, when you're when your family needs people to plant the seeds on the farm. You know, you're going to plant the seeds on the farm for a couple of months and you're not going to be running a couple of hours a day for recreation.
0: Right. I don't think it's money. I think it's the opportunity. You need places to run. You need people to run with. or Well, you don't need people to run with, but it helps to have a coach or people to run with. And you need to have the opportunity. You know, you need to have the free time. You can't be trying to support your family or, well, it's, it's more difficult that way if, if you're trying to support your family in high school and work a job and go to school and run. So I think you need the opportunity to do it.
2: Track and field in general apart from running or long distance running, maybe we're talking about, it's one of the most accessible sports, very diverse in the U.S. and worldwide. So, I mean, think about it worldwide, right? Like, we have people coming from nothing in poverty in Africa, and they're the very tip top of the sport. So I think that's one of the selling points of running. Yeah, people going out for fun runs in the United States or like joining cross-country teams in in high schools in the United States where it's more of a recreational thing and not a competitive thing, that's probably going to skew upper income and whatever those demographics are.
1: Okay, guys. We started with talk about whether London will be held this year. I think we were all somewhat optimistic about that. I want to end with some depressing talk. Rojo's rant, folks. Will we even have... The 2021 Olympics. My friend who's never wrong has texted me saying, no, we will not. He says everybody's getting ready for 2024. Japan hasn't had very much COVID. They're not going to want foreigners coming into the country. seems to be his theory. But I'm reading an article right now. I pulled it up on my computer. This is my thumbs down of the week to David Owen of InsideTheGames.biz. He's written an article entitled, Ford planning is all very well, but it's absurd to think about 2032 Olympics until COVID is subdued. Is this guy insane? So we're going to shut down the world for 12 freaking years? We can't afford to do that. We can all admit that, right?
0: Yeah, it's fine. Look, I I think his point probably is... It's not a pressing matter to be determining the 2032 Olympic host right now when there's other stuff going on. It's not, it's obviously not a big deal if you're talking about it, but, you know, it's not the most important thing in the world at the moment.
1: Okay. If they announce that, like, if these vaccines fail, if they come out that it fails, you guys admit I'm going to, like, the nearest clinic to try to get infected with COVID while I'm younger. Like I'm not gonna. If they say it's not going, it's going to be five years for vaccine. I'm not waiting five years. I'm going to get it now. Try to get like a small amount so that I don't.
0: Have you talked to your wife about this, Robert?
1: We're worried about stuff. And by the way, folks, just because you get a negative COVID test, you guys realize the false negative for COVID is like twenty percent or higher.
0: Okay, we're going off the rails here. When we talk too much about COVID, people get mad, and Robert also has a tendency to spew quote-unquote, facts that we're not always sure uh, true. That's from Johns
2: Hopkins, John. I'll, I'll send well, you I mean, all
0: right. Uh,
2: Wait, we're going to have to have, like, footnotes in all of our podcasts here on right Yeah,
0: out. No, look, obviously it's a concern, Robert, to get to your initial point, that 2021 Olympics might not happen, but I think it's, it's too early to be rendering judgment on that. Like, look, we can reassess. They didn't, what, they can't, they postponed this year's Olympics back in the end of March, so... We're a long way until March 2021. But obviously, look, I think every athlete should be considering that we might be in this state of the world for a while. We might not have an Olympics next year. It might not be till 2022 when people are racing normally again. But I think it's too early to be freaking out about it. I don't see what's productive about, you know, freaking out about that right now.
2: Right. It is interesting because Japan's done very well with COVID. But are they going to... If they never really get a big first wave, are they gonna to try to keep everybody out? So
1: And by the way, my another probably another Atlantic article that I read, John, they have great COVID information. In Japan. They don't really do a lot of tracing, they don't do a lot of testing. But when people ride this people actually ride the subways, but they have the windows open and no one talks. It's all about talking. Super spreading events and the choir practices. Do not talk. They should have sporting events with no Cheering out, As I said, NFL, open it up to 50% capacity. Just no cheering. You got to use the sirens. You got to use your bands. You cannot yell out or you're thrown out of the stadium. And I think these MLB players need to be sitting way far apart and not cheering unless they're wearing masks.
0: Can't to- yeah, can't Tolkien just be negated by wearing a mask on the subway, Robert?
2: No, you need a face shield, John. I mean, ro- Robert's science about talking. It's like Bill de Blasio Wonderful mayor of New York, who announced yesterday that restaurants in New York will open indoors in June of 2021. (laughs) What? I'm sure that, yeah, John. The science, I'm sure, is just pick that date. We've determined
0: June 16th, 2021. This is when it will be safe and no sooner.
2: Everyone's got their so called science. Well, guys,
1: I think we're almost done, except I think we forgot to hype the fact with the shoe regulations last week. I think we didn't really announce that the 4% shoes appear to be banned from the track. So you can no longer wear them in a 10,000, which is interesting. So now college teams won't have to spend, you know, a thousand dollars to, to, to get their 10 K teams ready for, for, for the conference meet every year. So, but don't forget guys and gals, let's run.com slash subscribe, email us, sign up for a membership, and then tell me you signed up, send me your name, to VIP at Let's Run.com. VIP at Let's Run. Put your your shirt size and address, and I'll send you a free
2: shirt. And Hopefully when we talk again next week, there's good news, at least about the London Marathon. And if not, we'll still be able to talk about the Monaco Diamond League meet. And then that could be it. We'll just close shop until 2032, apparently. Until next week, guys. Weldon Johnson, signing off.